This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. My name is Alex Osterwalder, and we're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? <laughs> I'm Alex Osterwalder. I'm the lead author of Business Small Generation. Um, and the inventor of the business model canvas. And what do I do? I help companies find better business models. Now, I have to preface, I feel like on the Leader Lab series, we're going a bit backwards because a couple months ago, we had Saul Kaplan in Business Model Innovation, which um, is a really cool book about how to kind of build a company that's comfortable with experimentation. And they make a reference to the business model canvas. But some of our listeners might be out there not without a clue what the business model canvas is or, or what a business model is. Talk a bit about uh, what a business model is and how the canvas can help you visualize what your business model is. So basically, you know, I use the same definition as Sol Kaplan, that a business model is the story or the process or the, the model of how you create, deliver, and capture value. And what I think is even more important than just a definition is a way to describe business models, and that's why we came up with the business model canvas, which is simply a visual approach to sketch out your business model, the business model that you might have today or the business model that you want to build. And the important part here is making it visual and tangible. So the advantage of using an approach like the business small canvas is that when you start visualizing it, when you start sketching it out, it becomes much clearer. It becomes clearer actually to yourself <laughs> if you're working alone on an idea, but it also becomes clearer to a group when you're discussing a business model. As soon as they talk together with a more visual approach, there is a better understanding, there's a better conversation, there's a strategic conversation, and there's a better outcome. So that's one of the big things that uh, you know I'm excited about and that I learned over the last couple of years. We need to leave blah, blah, blah behind us. We need to you know, move away from just talking towards using tools, just like you use a hammer to hammer in a nail. We need tools in business as well. The business model canvas is one of those tools. Yeah, and, and I have been a, an unashamed fan of the Business Model Canvas for a number of years now. I'm, I'm actually kind of kicking myself that I haven't brought it on the podcast more often, but we, we talk about leadership, innovation, and strategy, and I think all three of those areas are places that need a tool like the Business Model Canvas. Leaders need to know what the model is. If you want to innovate it, you have to start with the model. And really, a fundamental element of strategy involves figuring out what your value proposition is, uh, et cetera. But I, I, the other thing I love about it is that if, if I remember the story correctly, it's really rather steeped in research. It, this came out of your PhD dissertation, didn't it? Yeah, correct. So, so Yves Pinier, who is today my co-author, was my PhD supervisor, and he was looking for a better way to describe business models. That was in the year 2000, still you know, a lot around the e-commerce boom, and business models was associated with the internet then mainly. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what's a better way to describe business models, to analyze business models, and ultimately to invent business models. So we tried to find a shared language, and we came up with a business model canvas, but we just didn't, we didn't just pull it out of thin air. We researched everything that was there. We did a, a model that was a synthesis of other models. And then we went out in the field and tested it. We tested it with managers, senior executives, entrepreneurs to make sure that this model would really work. 
because not it's not like in natural science where you have a truth right <laughs> if i you know, drop this stone it's going to fall you can predict in 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 uh, social sciences like the economy economics you can't predict as easily because there are a lot of moving pieces but what you can do is you can invent tools that help you struct, uh, structure your thinking and approach problems in a better way. And the business model canvas is one of those tools, and it did come out of research. And we used a particular methodology, which is called design science, to come up with this better tool. So for me, you know, it's always a little bit like, you know, I like comparing it to real tools, like a hammer. We invented a hammer <laughs> to try business model. Yeah, that's an awesome way to describe it. And, and I, I like it because as a professor, you know, my day job, I'm working with students all the time and we have all of these kind of dry, boring textbooks that we work through. And then I hand them that one and they're saying, is this a textbook? I'm like, well, I can promise you that it comes out of <laughs> years and years of research. So Yeah. And, and, you know, I think this, this is actually an important part. So business model generation is a very visual book and we made it visual, not because we wanted to, to look pretty or because we wanted to just differentiate. Of course, it's very different from, from most business books. But I think today we cannot discuss business problems just with words, just with language. We actually need both. We need the visual aspect because a lot of things can be described much quicker and in a clearer way if we use visuals. And then you add the words to describe. Some business phenomena, we describe them with words, and it's the last thing we should be doing, right? We should use visuals and words. And I think more and more books will go in that direction in business because we're dealing with complex phenomena, you know, changing environments, globalization, crises, uh, changing business models, disruptive innovation. These are all things that require visual thinking. So for us, it's really a core belief. I would never go back, and I know it's the same for my co-author and, and, and for um, Alan Smith, who was doing the design, we would never go back and do a book just based on text because it doesn't work. For me, a book that just uses text is a broken book. No, I and I totally agree, especially with you know I, I have I've walked people through the kind of the canvas a number of times and had them have some idea and after it takes a while, especially to get them to trust their own visual instincts. But after an hour, hour and a half of explaining their whole business to me, suddenly they they can kind of look at this one whiteboard and understand it, and and it works with. Uh, it works with traditional for-profit businesses, with entrepreneurs, with nonprofits. Uh, I've even experimented with using it inside government organizations to understand how they deliver value to other um, organizations. And it's that visual tool. Um, like you said, you built a hammer for building business models, and it, it works really, really well. So we're going to have on the, the page for this podcast episode, we'll have a picture of the business model canvas. But walk me through a little bit what some of the, the building blocks are. Um, and how they kind of interrelate. And, and you'll have to click over. If you're listening in the car, please just, you know, stop and, and wait till you can get to a place where you can see the model so you can see how it works. So what we're doing now is a little bit of a cognitive crime because yeah. I'm walking you through a visual method just by using words. But basically, there are nine building blocks. And we just had a, you know, I just published a, a blog post on the Harvard Business Review blog describing it. And there's a video that does that. So you, know, you can find this on the web now in a visual way, but basically it's nine building blocks that allow you to describe your business model. You know, it starts with the customer segments that you're creating value for, then you start describing, well, what's your value proposition? What's the value proposition for each customer segment? You describe the channels you use to reach these customers, the relationships you establish, 
and how you're earning money through which revenue streams. Those first blocks is what I call the front stage of your business model, everything that's visible to, to the general public. Now you have to build the backstage for your business model and ask yourself, what do I need, what is required to do what I just said, you know, value proposition, the customers you're targeting. So the next blocks are, hey, what key resources do you need to you know, create that value proposition? Do you need factories? Do you need intellectual property? Do you need people? And then the next question is, well, what key activities do I really need to be good at performing? Do I have to be extremely good at research and development? Maybe yes, maybe no. It doesn't apply to every organization. Do I have to be extremely good at marketing and branding? Maybe yes, maybe no. So you have to define what are the key activities in your particular business model. Since we're in the 21st century and you won't do everything yourself, you have to ask yourself with which key partners are you going to work? Which key partners can leverage your business model? And then the last aspect, once you describe those three elements of the backstage, key resources, key activities, and key partners, well, very quickly, you can figure out what your cost structure is. What are the main costs involved in your business model? And now you have one big equation, you know, putting all those blocks together. Well, very quickly, you're going to figure out how are you earning money? How are you spending it? And, you know, hopefully you create a business model where the revenue streams are bigger than the cost structure, right? And that's what we call a profit. So basically, these nine blocks describe the blueprint of your strategy, the logic of your business, and they make it very tangible. So we move away from just product thinking. We move away from just targeting specific customers and not describing the rest towards describing your business model in a holistic way by using the nine basic building blocks of any business model. And, and what I love about it as a, as a tool is that, like you said, it's there are um, so many different areas in your business model beyond just what a customer sees, beyond just what the product is. And, and sometimes it's an innovation or a change to one of the other building blocks than even the value proposition that uh, affects everything else. You know, Saul in, in um, his book, Business Model Innovation Factory, I always forget, there's so many words in that title. I'm sorry, Saul. Uh, he talks about Blockbuster and Netflix. You know, you've talked about uh, the launch of the iPod. I even like to think about uh, when I work it with my students, I look at the traditional sort of razor market and this new company, Dollar Shave Club, which didn't change anything about the value proposition other than the model, the ongoing subscription constant customer relationship model. So sometimes it's it's the whole it's a change in the model that almost comes from back of house that can really provide the innovation that the company needs to sort of give it life. So you're touching on a very important point. So over the last couple of years, I've been working with a lot of companies from Fortune 500 to startups. And one of the things I saw a lot is that people are stuck in product thinking and maybe even value proposition thinking. They have a hard time to really think business models. So if you just use the canvas, you know, you can use it in a basic way, say, what am I offering? And then you fill out the other boxes more like a checklist. But when you get good at this, you're going to ask yourself, how good is the design of my business model? So I'll give you a couple of questions that have nothing to do with product innovation. But you can ask yourself, well, am I producing recurring revenues? That doesn't have to do with product innovation. So moving from transactional revenues, selling stuff, towards recurring revenues, you might have 10-year contracts, you might have subscriptions. That's a big shift, right? Asking yourself, does your business model have switching costs designed into it? Are you in a transactional industry? So I work with a hygiene company. They're one of the biggest toilet paper manufacturers of the world. 
Well, guess how big the switching costs are when it comes to toilet paper? Zero. So what does that mean? The cost of sales is very expensive. They need to do a lot of marketing because their customers can change from today to tomorrow. Nothing locks them in. So when you ask yourself, how can you create switching costs? You're asking yourself a business model question. That's exactly what Steve Jobs did when he introduced the iPod. Said, you know, magically he pulled this iPod out of his pocket and said, this is the first time we can put thousand songs in a pocket. What most people don't realize is, why did Steve Jobs want us to put thousand songs in a pocket? Because it's hard to get those thousand songs out of the pocket again. He created switching costs. Soon as you start copying all your music on one device into one software, you're starting to be locked in. It takes a lot of energy and cost to switch to another platform, to transfer all of that data. So designing this into your business model, that's what you know, makes a difference between those who are focused just on product innovation, which is easy to copy, and those who are focused on business model innovation. So there are a couple of these design questions that you want to ask yourself, how good is your business model? Are your switching costs zero? Bad. Are your switching costs very high, so it's hard for your customers to switch? Good, because they'll be locked in for a longer time. Do you have transactional revenues? Nice, but not great, because customers you know, might not come back. Do you have recurring revenues? Great, because that means you can predict how much you're going to earn over the next year, five years, 10 years. So ask yourself those questions and how you can innovate beyond just product thinking. So it's very important to not get stuck in product thinking. I think that's a, a great point. You know, I'm, I'm in the midst of um, reading a couple different books on strategy, and they all talk about that sort of constant debate between the positioning school and the kind of learning school. And I think a lot of times, especially large corporations that do strategy, it's their strategy efforts are, are reduced to what position in the market is our product going to operate in? And, and where are we going to be? Are we going to be high-end, low-end, low-cost, et cetera? And then not thinking about any of the other stuff uh, in relation to the business model. And that's the thing that I love about this, this uh, tool is it's not just a tool for innovation. It's really it's a tool for developing an entire corporate strategy by looking at is it our whole business model compared to our competitors' business models that's going to give us success, not just whether or not our product is good. And, and here's what you're seeing happening in, 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 in large companies. They're starting to build portfolios of business models. That's what leadership is about, you know, not just improving your existing business model, you know, improving the margins because the stock market asks you to do that and because you have a short-term focus. Great companies, they also invent new business models. So they have an entire portfolio of business models that make money and business models that they're experimenting with because they will be the ones making money tomorrow. It's very hard to do. So a lot of companies are starting with this effort. Nestle is a great example. You know, they came up with Nespresso, which changed the Nespresso business, the espresso business. But then they came up with um, a new machine called Babyness, and they created a business model around that. They came up with a new machine. It's called Specialty, which is about pods and, and tea. But they built an entire portfolio of different business models in similar areas which means they're milking some of the existing growth and they're creating the growth of the future. They have to manage the interrelationships between these different business models. Very few companies today are good at what you know, some people like Cotter call the dual operating system, improving existing business models, 
and at the same time inventing new business models. That's hard to do. And I'm working with Henry Chesbro and Steve Blank a little bit on this topic to figure out how would an organization have to organize and what kind of leadership structures do we need to make this possible. So there's a lot of talk about these dual operating systems, but how concretely you do it, nobody's really figured it out yet. And very few companies are good at this. So together with uh, Henry and, and Steve, we're starting to figure out you know, what would be the right approach to do this. And and you know along that lines actually it reminds me that you have you've built a, a souped up version of the hammer you've in a sense you've gone from hammer to nail gun in that there's now an online tool that you all have built that makes it much easier to uh, run the calculations especially um, and kind of experiment with different models in a m- much more rapid period of time than than getting everybody together kind of around a poster talk talk a bit about that tool strategizer and and how that is going to be useful along this exact line so so. I'm a big believer in in posters, using posters and sticky notes to to figure out strategy, right? But it has its limitations. So typically, you can easily prototype business models with, you know, big poster and the business model canvas and and some sticky notes. But what you can't do very quickly and easily is sketch out the numbers, collaborate globally because you have other team members in other places of the world continuing to evolve the business models you're working on in a group setting with team members all over the world. So we came up with a tool to do that, which is called strategizer.com. And the idea behind it was, what kind of accompanying tools do you need in addition to the paper-based tools that work very well in the world? And we built a platform, Strategizer, that allows you to collaboratively sketch out business models, throw in the numbers, start the testing, refine the value proposition, prototype business models, because there's certain things you can't easily do on paper. And this is something we've been doing now for the last two years. We started out with an iPad app, which was just a test, which was very successful, which financed the second phase. Now we have a software as a service where we're selling this online. So you can go to strategizer.com and check it out. We have an alpha version people already pay for um, that's very robust and that people are actually really excited about. And we're working towards the third phase, which is getting large companies to use uh, this platform. Because in large companies, you have teams that collaborate across the world and they need tools that help them. So imagine, you know, you're sketching out your business model with different team members in different places. You want to export your PowerPoint so you can do a presentation to top management or VCs or whatever. You want to throw in the numbers based on what you've learned by doing the market testing. This is not fantasy anymore. This is reality. This is already something you can do. I always make the analogy with architecture saying, you know, if you look at how architects build buildings, it's pretty sophisticated. They have great tools. They have computer-aided design. If you look at how we build businesses inside large companies or as startups, it's not very sophisticated, right? We're starting to have the tools now. But do we have computer-aided design to do that? Well, it's only starting out now. And we want to be part of that movement that creates the tools that accompany the business model building process and strategy in general, right? So in addition to the business model canvas, we now came up with the value proposition canvas, which allows you to dive deeper into the value proposition and describe that. So all this is now possible, not just in the paper-based world, 
but also in the software-based world, and in our case, uh, in, in a software as a service. So I'm extremely excited about this because I think this is the future of how we build, test, and, and manage strategy. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it ties in especially to what you were saying with having portfolios of companies or, or portfolios of business models because now you can have them all saved in kind of one place and be constantly experimenting. And we'll have a link to that uh, on the page for the podcast as well. I, I want to shift a little bit from the business model generation, the business model canvas uh, to you personally. W- what are you reading right now? Yeah, right now I'm reading um, a couple of hundred emails per day. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Rita's, Rita McGrath's book, um, The End of um, um, Competitive Strategy, is, um, um, is one that I'm really excited about. Um, that's probably the main one that I've looked at. You know, I, I just had another look at, at uh, Vijay Govindarajan and Chris Trimble's work. So they wrote a while ago already, The Other Side of Innovation, but they now officially published also How Stella Save the Farm, a fable, you know, version of their other book. So those are the two that I'm really excited about because, you know, they, they really are the other tools that some of the other tools that we need in, in the process. Unfortunately, I actually don't read as much as I want to. And the reason is the books don't look the way I want the books to look like, you know, that would get me interested, which is very visual. So there are some books that are a little bit more visual, but I have um, I have a problem of reading you know books that are 300 pages long and don't follow a, a visual kind of structure. So I think it's it's happening more. I'll get back to reading more business books once that happens. Once they get back to being more visual, that's a good point. But you, you know, the business model generation really did begin that. I've seen several in that. Like you, you actually use the term. We need to get past blah blah blah. There's a wonderful uh, two books in that series around the idea of what words we use to describe our business and ourselves, et cetera, um, and moving more into that sort of visual thinking. So we're getting there. Little, little by little, we're getting there. I think uh, I think maybe instead of a, a fable about a farm, it maybe should have been more of a children's storybook with lots and lots of pictures and less on the words, but that's that's okay. Um, and, and how about, you know, with yourself, you said you're working with lots of large companies, et cetera, but what are, what's on the horizon for you? What's, what's next for you beyond this uh, strategizer tool? I know you said rolling it out to large companies, but what else is down the pipe? Yeah, so the, the software company is my main focus or our main focus if you take the team who's involved in this and, and you know, we, we're hiring by the month, so that's pretty fun. But besides that, you know, I'm a big fan of, of concepts and developing new concepts or developing new tools. Before I use the analogy of a hammer, well, you can't build a house just with a hammer. You need a lot of tools, right? It's the same for a company. You can't build new strategies, new business models, new value propositions with one tool. So I'd be the last to say the business model canvas is the tool that solves everything. We need more. So I'm working on two things mainly. Well, one is pushing, you know, we did we created the value proposition canvas, but there's relatively little content around that today that people can consume that help them. So we're working on content to help people understand the value proposition canvas more and how the value proposition canvas relates to the business model canvas. That that's one thing that I'm really focusing at, on at the moment. But I think, you know, one of the topics that I find particularly exciting that um, people should be aware of is you mentioned you mentioned you know that NGOs and governments are using these approaches. I think the one I'm excited about around business model innovation is social entrepreneurship, 
So companies that try to harmonize impact and profit. So companies that are not just happy with making a profit, but they actually want to make a profit, build a company, and change the world at the same time. And I'm not talking about, you know, Google making all information accessible, etc. That's fine. That's a nice goal. But that's not what I find, you know, is changing the world. Changing the world for me is poverty alleviation. It's the er eradication of malaria. Those kind of things. That Those are for me big goals. And today there, there are quite a few entrepreneurs who try to create companies that make a profit but not at the expense of impact and impact not at the expense of profit, which means that profit and impact live in harmony. The more profit a company makes, the more impact it has. And there are a couple of great examples out there. Sun Edison, you know, created by Jigger Shaw, is a wonderful example. He changed with the company he built the, the face of the solar energy industry. That's spectacular, right? This was an entrepreneurial venture, but with, you know, a real goal in mind to change the way, you know, large companies consume energy, that they move to solar more. That's wonderful. Then, you know, smaller examples like Peepoople is a Swedish company. They're trying to solve actually a very big problem, which is the fact that 2.6 billion people don't have access to proper sanitation. So what we take for granted a lot of people, you know, don't have access to clean water, to toilets, etc. Peepoople has a product that works. It's called the Peepoo bag. <laughs> this is real, right? And this works. But what they are now testing, and they're pretty far in the process, is what's the business model that allows them to do this in a profitable and sustainable way? Because they know as a not-for-profit, they won't grow as much and they won't have as much of an impact. So they're really trying to build a real company and they're funded. They have a couple of millions of euro in, in funding. And this is a company that really wants to change the world, but not at the expense of, of profit. So I find that exciting. And um, I see a couple of entrepreneurs using the business model canvas to do that. So that's a very exciting field. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I neglected to mention that I have a good colleague that teaches a social entrepreneurship class at, at a different university, and it's the uh, the first chapters of business model generation are, are required reading because it's a it's a great tool for sketching out how are you going to deliver on a sometimes two value propositions, sometimes one that serves those both aims at the same time, and how are you going to sketch that out? So, uh, just another type of house that can be built with that same set of tools, which is awesome. Correct. So yep. we'll we'll have links to all of those tools, and we'll be looking out for all the stuff that's coming um, down the pipe in relation to it. It's a, it's a fascinating concept, and I think you, you're right. Con congrats on igniting the visual revolution as far as using visual tools to build uh, better businesses, better business models, um, etc. So thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab today. David, thank you for the opportunity.